One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right. Uh, Warren, just uh, state your name to acknowledge we're recording it. Warren Zanes. I sensed a mix of impatience and boredom when Warren Zanes sat down with me to talk about his biography of Tom Petty. Hi, it's Tom Hudson. Whatever it was, though, it fell away fast when talking with Zanes about Tom Petty. Zanes is a student of American rock and roll. It's a role he came to after spending time in a rock and roll band himself. It was back in the mid-1980s that he had four songs on the charts with his band, The Del Fuegos. He went on to get a doctorate degree in visual and cultural studies, teach, and become an executive with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But it was Petty and the Heartbreakers who first inspired him as a kid in Massachusetts, and it's a subject he returns to in this book, Petty, the Biography. We spoke with Warren Zanes at the 2015 Miami Book Fair International about his own creativity, Petty's imagination, and where his music comes from. From WLRN Public Media in Miami, this is Spark, a podcast about imagination. I first heard Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers when I was 11 years old, and I was in Concord, New Hampshire, and the rock station we list, that we listened to was WBCN. I was an early supporter of the band, and Breakdown was the song. But I was the youngest sibling, and I don't think I found my thing. You know, I think younger siblings are often looking to their their older brothers and sisters and kind of choosing between them. And I didn't totally connect with my brother. I didn't totally connect with my sister. And I was a real late bloomer. It's alright if you love me. It's alright if you don't. I'm not afraid of you running away, honey. I get the feeling you. It was going to be through music that there was a bit of an awakening. There is no sense in pretending. In the Heartbreakers, you had this really already, they, with their debut, they were a very good band as a unit. And then Tom Petty's voice laid over this really kind of raw skeletal sound. It wasn't punk rock, but it got lumped in with that. It, when it's the right piece of music, it goes somewhere inside of you. you know, the music of your adolescence is going to be with you the rest of your life because you use it as a kind of identity building block. And I did that with the Heartbreakers. Tom Petty has a really strong narrative voice, though he doesn't get recognized as having one. You know, you had Tom Waits, you had Bruce Springsteen, guys who created really elaborate landscapes within their songs. And Petty was always far more, you know, kind of lean in what he put out there lyrically. As a songwriter, that interested me. You know, I think the the form of the song it's different from poetry no matter how much it shares with it because you set the emotional mood 
musically before the generally before those words come in. Um, I was talking to Graham Parker, and he said it's the most manipulative, you know, artistic form there is. And he didn't mean it in a negative way. It's just it does manipulate you to kind of set the stage, and then the words come. And Petty is is very good at this. He uses the music so that he doesn't have to overwrite. So he's a student of Dylan, but not in the sense of the verbose students of Dylan. And we know th those guys, and, and we love them. He's like a guy who learned from the couplet. Because there are times where you look at Dylan, you go to Subterranean Homesick Blues, sh smash that song onto the floor, and pick the couplets up. There's a world in in those lines, a world. And I think Petty learned from that kind of Dylan. But when, when I became a songwriter myself, I was absolutely looking to Tom Petty and seeing how in three and a half minutes he could, you know, do what I look for in a short story. You hit upon Petty's voice, both his literal voice as well as the narrative voice. And early in the book, you write um, about your experiences. Would you mind reading this passage to me? Because it gets right exactly to the heart about what you're talking about. This is literally on page two of the book. I bracketed there for you, Warren. Okay. Oh, I see. Okay. But there was something more going on, something beyond the groove, the taste, the lean but tough musicality, Petty's voice. He wasn't obvious as a lead singer, but there was a character in there. What would one day be celebrated is his defiance was present from the beginning. But it would have been nothing, would have meant nothing, without his romanticism. The defiance would have been empty. Petty's romanticism wasn't along the lines of Bruce Springsteen's or Tom Waits, two songwriters who worked with elaborate panoramas of image, character, and place. His narratives were always more skeletal, perhaps less self-conscious. There's a bit of anger in it, but optimism and plenty of space for the listener. Yeah, well, I had already talked about space in the music. There's space in the music, space in the lyrics, and those spaces are where we go in and kind of nest as listeners. And when we do, it's almost like the reciprocal effect is that those songs are nesting in us. I, I was talking to Jerry Wexler who is a you know, major figure at Atlantic Records, produced Aretha Franklin, Bob Dylan, many, many people. And I got to know him at the end of his life, and he was trying to educate me in jazz. And it was a, the poor guy. You know, it was a hopeless task. Uphill battle for a rock and roller? Uh, it, was, it was tough. I got, intellectually I got it, but he was wanting me to have an emotional experience. And I think he finally said, you know, this is the music that I started with. You know, this is where I get my mail today. And he was describing the music of his adolescence. It wasn't mine. You know, Tom Petty is mine. It's a pretty straightforward biography of really an icon of uh, 20th century and now 21st century American music. Uh, what did Petty do to you, Warren Zanes, as an artist? Yeah. He, um, well, he... He liberated me on some level because uh, he's he's an underdog. You know, we live in a world owned by Bruce Springsteen, and you know what? We're better for it. 
But back behind there's Tom Petty, who I think is is Bruce's equal. And uh, but I've always viewed him as a as as that underdog. And I've always felt like I think most people do like an underdog myself. So I connected on that on that level. Uh, but he's also lived a life. You know, I get into details about childhood abuse, and he, you know, it's a case study where when a young person is abused and we're talking age five is when it really got rough very rough for him uh he was lucky because the beatles came on to ed sullivan and they sent that message out to young america at the time this is your music and you can do this and petty needed art at that time he needed an alternative universe to what he was finding at home you know at his father's hands and the Beatles kind of created a place and gave him an artistic life where he could express parts of himself that had to be expressed if he was going to survive what he was facing at home. He's been so prolific because the imagination was his safe place. You know, the place that he went to write songs was his safe house, and it was the world of the imagination. I certainly took that from him. I remember even recently... Six years ago, I came into a divorce. And it was, to me, it was the unthinkable. You know, I was the guy who just couldn't accept that his marriage was coming apart. And it was just brutal on me. And the smartest thing I did, and it wasn't, it was just by nature, was I just started putting songs together for an album. And it was such a reminder that this is how art functions in our lives. It does, it does many things, but one of its big ones is, you know, if you have a place to take the pain and you can turn it into something, you know, that alchemical process, uh, it might just save your skin. And it did this for me. And in the Tom Petty story, you see him doing this over and over, you know, like, Fame and success, when you're coming from lower on the class ladder, enormous complications come because the people around you who knew you back then are constantly grappling with who you've become. And generally, they're not happy about it because you come into power, you've come into notoriety, and they're afraid that you think you're something yet they think you're not. And you're grappling with it constantly within a band, within a family. And so Petty kept going to the art, to the songwriting, the world of the imagination, to have that alternative place to the crap he was, you know, confronting in his life. It's, it's a powerful message. You know, when, when I talk to my own children, I hope they're getting that part of it. It's tough for a young child to get that part of it. You really have to learn it to some degree and, and be able to internalize it firsthand. Hopefully it's not because of a, 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 a parental abuse leveled upon a kid, but uh, maybe a kid just discovering his or her imagination in that place. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. You can't, it's got to be experiential. You can't say, no, understand, you know, art's going to save your skin. Uh, they're going to look at you and go, 
could you hit me with another abstraction? Dad? Listen to Refugee. Refugee is about so many different things, and it was written in a time period where world strife was happening, and it has echoes even today in the 21st. It's not going to work, Warren. It's not, it's not going to work, but I still do it. <laughs> idea of, uh, of duality of defiance and romanticism that you articulate early in the book and you can see it time and time again in Petty's songwriting. Uh, the source, I think, has got to be that abuse suffered at such a young age, both physical and the emotional abuse and the difficult childhood that he had in Gainesville. But he comes back to that time and time again. I mean, certainly early in the career, you can argue there's shades of it in, in Breakdown and Refugee, Learning to Fly. Uh, free falling. I mean, it continues to kind of come and feed that artistic element for him. Yeah, he's he's a songwriter who expresses longing. I I often think of him as being in a camp generally with like Hank Williams, where I feel lots of longing, but it's also material that has this ease to it. It's it's a material that feels like it just came. You know, you don't see the work. I know both those songwriters worked. But, yes, I, th I think you, you rightly point to he's got the longing and then he's got that dream of an elsewhere that sustains human beings. I mean, again, it's in those look at American Girl. You know, couldn't help but think there's a little more life somewhere else. Well, that's the dream of elsewhere that, you know, the, is the answer to longing. The imagination that uh, is, is there to heal wounds if used in the right way. You know, it's, it's, you, could be, you could be crushed by the stuff that doesn't make sense. You know, think about that five-year-old kid. He describes welts all up and down his body, his mother and grandmother cleaning them out with alcohol. That kid has to make sense of the world somehow. And his, his protector became the thing he needed to protect himself again. If you're age five and you're having to negotiate that, you're going to need to create an elsewhere to like, kind of carry yourself through. And it's, it is removed from external reality. And you can't go and live there. You can visit there. So he also has to figure out how to be a person in the world while, while having this safe house that is on some level detached from reality. Some, some artists, I think, kind of go and stay. And that means that that might be the way they get through life. But if you also want your art to work for other people, you got to come back. You know? One of the things through Petty's career is while he goes to that place maybe to for for inspiration of, of uh, some kind and and to to plant those seeds of imagination he has brought his audience through a number of different musical 
trends. He has not been afraid to be influenced by what's happening in contemporary popular music at the time that he's also writing. He hasn't stuck with that 76 sound, that 1978 sound, that 1981 sound. Uh, but yet, as his, as his fans have been brought along and that fan base has grown, his artistic, uh, his artistry has grown along. And there's not a lot of superstars that can say that. He's, he's very, very ambitious. And I think he wouldn't be making records today if he didn't think that there was the possibility that he could make the greatest record he's ever made in, you know, when he's 68. He's also born under the sign of the Beatles. And you can't really overstate the importance of the Beatles. We talk about them all the time because we should be talking about them all the time. But the Beatles came and they, there are a couple messages they delivered that were really important. One was every song on an album counts. They really brought in the album era. You know, it used to be like, here's a single, look at some of the Beach Boys records. You know, they're not nearly as good as that band was. You know, I'm Bugged at My Old Man is on a record that has some incredible songs and it's, it's like a novelty song. But they were a product of their culture. It's not to blame them. That was the standard. Beatles come and every song is good. And then every album is slightly different from the last. When you go from Rubber Soul into Revolver, you know you've gone someplace. And when you go from Revolver into Sgt. Pepper, you know you've gone someplace. So Petty's raised with this generation that wants every song on a record to count and every record to be somewhat different from the last. You add his ambition into that, and that's how you can kind of explain the output that he's capable of. Yeah, he, I mean, he is a, a, a restless creative mind. Uh, but you think to Don't Come Around Here No More, which was on the Southern Accents record. <laughs> He was pushing the limit of departure from the previous release on that. You know, you were hearing drum machines, you were hearing synthesizers, um, but he's, you know, he's never been slave to anything except the song. You don't come around here no more. You don't come around here no more. And talking to him, he was very clear that what had really gotten under his skin in terms of what other people were making, it was Prince and Purple Rain. That he was thinking about Prince and this kind of updated psychedelic sound. And when you know that and you go back and listen to Don't Come Around Here No More, it's like, okay, it makes sense. But he, he manages to make that song sound like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers because his vocal is still the centerpiece. What more as an artist does Tom Petty think that Tom Petty has to say? You know, I, honestly, I mean, this is, this is my speculative viewpoint. I mean, he might say something differently, but I feel like when he goes into a project, he doesn't know what's there. You know, but uh, he's such a believer that you know there's that there's always more, 
and that the next one could be the best that I think he goes into it like with a very high level of curiosity. You know, he's got to put, he is a worker. You know, that restless mind yields activity. Uh, but when he goes into it, I think he doesn't fully know what he's after. I think, you know, and, and the studio is often like this for that post-Beatles generation. You might go in and say, you know, I'm doing a folk album. I know it's just going to be mostly acoustic and voice, and that's that's fine. He does a little less of that. I think he goes in, it's like, let these songs tell me what they need to sound like. And I think he, he his production model is that. Imagine the American rock and roll songbook, if not for Tom Petty. What would it be missing? Well, I, I think he... He carries something of, of the its elemental nature forward. There are times when there's a lot going on in a Heartbreaker song, but not when it isn't necessary. So he, they really have worked at the service of the song for about 40 years now. And you look back and it's like Elvis Presley, That's All Right, first single cut at Sun Records, really elemental, really elemental. Booker T and the MGs, Green Onions, really elemental and a lot of the great stones recordings you know go to some of the tracks on exile on main street really elemental and the in those cases you're seeing people working consciously or not with space and you know we've talked a little bit about space but it's it is a tradition that needs to be carried forward in the times when most bands learn it are when they're transitioning from being a, a live band to being a recording band. You know, I remember being in a band and we, so we signed our record deal, we drove out to Los Angeles, we're put together with a producer and he was a great producer and worked with him for a week and I was in tears. I was, I was 18 at the time and he was telling me not to play so much that it just beat my ego to nothing. It's like all I was hearing was don't play there, don't play there. And what I couldn't see was that the songs were emerging. You know, when there was no lead guitar in until the chorus, that meant that you really heard that chorus. And that's the that's the kind of main event within the structure of the song. But some bands, you know, I it, had there not been, you know, a band there and a producer there to like kind of calm me down as I'm going through this, I probably would have just said, that's it, I'm out of the band. That's generally what happens, is bands don't transition from being live bands to recording bands because it's making records is different from playing shows. And the Heartbreakers, they're an incredible live band. Um, but they're incredible record makers. And once you learn to make those records, it translates to the live show, but it, it doesn't cut both ways. You can't take what you learned on the stage and become a great record maker, but these guys do it all. And I think more than any other American rock and roll band, they knew how to take their approach to a song and turn it into an approach to making that song into a record. And that's Hard to fully grasp if you haven't done it. Again, it's a bit experiential, but these guys are masters. I want you to imagine 
if there is one, that next Tom Petty record? What do you think that could sound like? He he could take it to so many places, but I think of it less in relation to the sound. Petty has has grown older with when he when he's forty he makes a forty year old record. When he was twenty eight he made a twenty eight year old record. I would like to see him at seventy make a record that tells me, you know, a little bit like Dylan did there for a moment, where it felt like he was really he was teaching me something about how human beings face their own mortality. You know, it's not dark yet uh, from time out of mind. You know, it was really like that caught a lot of people's attention. To me, Tom Petty is fully capable of telling us something about the end of a life. I think we've seen it in novels. You know, look at Tolstoy's The Death of Ivan Illich. You know, it's really the end of the life. There's a, there's a redemptive turn, but there's also a facing of this. You know, Flaubert in A Simple Heart, a uh, similar thing. But pop music hasn't really gone there so much. It was a surprise when Dylan did it. I could see Petty going there and facing it, not in a way to make us feel better about it, but in a way to, to show us that he went there in a kind of authentic way and he wants to, to share the experience with us. It could be very dark. You know, it's interesting you mention that because... Arguably, Petty, Dylan certainly, are among the first uh, of the wave of American rock and roll artists to survive and continue to thrive commercially up to this old uh, veteran statesman age. Elvis Presley obviously died early. Uh, some of the Beach Boys music, it continues to be on the, you know, the country fair circuit, those kinds of things. Little Richard is still doing the Little Richard kinds of things, but Petty, Dylan... Uh, those musicians have continued to evolve to a place that they are reflective of their age in in a way that these other artists haven't. The, well, this is this is so important to answering that last question. I I, I love the Rolling Stones, but I feel quite certain they're not going to give me the record that tells me what it's like to be their age. They're going to give me a record that tells me they remember what it was like when they were younger and they're going to try and do it again. And that's fine. That's not to judge it. It's just to say I see that something remarkably important could happen there. It's funny. I used to look at artists like, you know, George Jones, Merle Haggard, even a Porter Wagner. You looked over at Country and it's like Johnny Cash. Oh, those guys get old and they keep doing it. And and they talk about where they are. And in rock and roll it's different. You got the hope I die before I get old, you know, the the who idea really it's like you know, pretty much what rock and roll was. And now you look at country and it's very young and you see these rock and rollers getting older, but I just don't think they're doing what the country guys did to like be older, you know, and that's what we're talking about here. And when when Dylan started to do it, it was very, very exciting. And and then I found that I wanted more. Tom Petty fans probably do too. Uh, Petty and the Heartbreakers' first number one album. It happened in 2014. 
38 years after their first release. That was Warren Zanes talking about his book, Petty, the Biography. And this is Spark, a podcast about imagination. It is produced out of WLRN in Miami, Florida. To hear more, search WLRN Spark in your podcast app. This episode was recorded at the 2015 Miami Book Fair International. Spark is a creation of Maria Muriel, Alicia Zuckerman, and me. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening.